you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we do pray that, that you would do a work in our heart, that we would know how to love you more and more and how to love those around us. God, God, I pray that we would find you alone to be worthy, that, that our hearts would fall more and more in love with you. God, that we would realize more and more how much you actually love us and care for us. God, I pray you'd free us from being people who feel like we have to perform to earn your favor or that there's no way possible for us to earn your favor. God, I pray we'd be a people that would believe more and more that you smile at us because of the work of Jesus. God, I pray you would do that work in our hearts. And as we continue to worship you by looking at your word, God, I'm asking that you would help me to teach. God, would you help all of us to listen? And I pray that we would know you better and love you more because we were here today. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. We're going to be continuing our uh, study in the book of Philippians. And so you can be opening up the book of Philippians. And, and as you turn there, um, let me give you one quick announcement. Tonight at 530, we are having um, a church family meeting is basically what it is. Um, I sent an email out this morning with a Zoom link for those of you online who can't who can't make it. But this is an important thing where what we're doing is laying out for the next year some of the things that we want we believe God is calling us to engage, to reach people in Tallahassee, and we'll also be looking at the church budget for this next year. And so um, I'd love to see you all here at 530. It should only be like 45 minutes, um, depending on how long I go. Hopefully I don't talk too long, but we'll talk about what God has for us, and we'll spend some time in prayer, and I'm hoping it's going to be worthwhile and challenging for us. So anyways, that's my only announcement. Let me jump into uh, this sermon this morning. And here's what I want you to know as I'm starting off this um, as I look at the U.S. population, one of the things that I looked up this week is that the U.S. population grows by 1.7 million people every year. That's around 200 per hour. I don't know if that's accurate or not. That's just what the Internet says. So we'll just we'll go with it. Uh, half of that is births, roughly, and half of that is people uh, coming into the country and immigrating over here. But, but basically, 1.7 million every year. The, the city of Tallahassee grows possibly by... A thousand or two thousand every single year. Uh, it's kind of low for a large Florida city, but it's still growth. So, so as you look at that, here's what you, here's what I'm basically driving at: that the population of our country and of our city is growing every year. And as that happens, I, I put that growth next to what happens in in churches. Uh, and, and here's the statistics for churches: some people claim that every year around five thousand churches a year in the United States shut down. So, so while the population is growing, the number of churches is decreasing. And just in case you're wondering, that's around 100 churches a week closing. That's actually the low number. Um, and then not only on top of that, it's not just that there's 100 churches a week possibly closing, that around 60% of all churches in the U.S. are actually stagnant or declining. In other words, their numbers are staying the same or they're dropping most of the churches are actually dropping. That means only around 40% of churches in the U.S. are growing. So here's what I'm showing you. Uh, the population is growing, and the number of churches is declining, and churches are shrinking and dying. And there's a few churches that are growing, but even those churches, those 40% of churches that are growing, almost all of those are exclusively growing by what, by what we would call transfer growth. In other words, as other churches shut down and people leave other churches, they're going to a church across town. So the churches that are growing are basically only growing 
with other people transferring from their church to another church. So, so think about that. Here's what that means. That, that means that the churches are growing aren't actually even putting a dent in really reaching people. That the picture for us in the United States as a church is this, that the population is growing and churches aren't even keeping up with population growth when it comes to reaching people. Does that make anyone else nervous in here or uncomfortable? That makes me feel a, a little uncomfortable. When we think about that, Jesus gave us one task. He gave us one job to make disciples. And we aren't even keeping up with population growth in the United States. And, and there's more. It's not just that we're not keeping up with population growth. When you look at the actual state of the church, and you're like, man, this is negative news. We're already, it's already been a rough week of news. Don't add more to it, but there's more. It's not just that churches are shrinking. When you look at actual like church attendance and church engagement from church members, and that's not COVID included, but it's just basically plummeting. Like the reality is that for most churches, if you can actually pull off getting people to show up to church twice a month, you are killing it. So it's not just that churches are shutting their doors and churches aren't reaching people. Church people aren't even engaged in the church. Nothing like what they used to be back in the day. I mean, back in the day, I don't know how many of y'all grew up in church. It was like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And then Lord help you if there was a revival on top of that. And that was going to happen twice a year. And you were going to be there Sunday through Saturday, every night of the week, maybe even multiple times on the weekend. Like it was just, it was action packed and busy and that's just not the way church is, is working anymore. And, and here's what, I have a lot of things that go on in my brain about that, but here's what it tells me. It tells me that the church in the U.S. is not effective at reaching people. And not only are we not effective, we don't want to hear that we're not effective. We, we don't want to hear that. We do not like the idea that the church is not good at reaching people. We, uh, we may see big and it might be attractive, but the reality is it, it's just not working. And the other reality is it's not even working for our own people. Our own people don't actually find the church to be beautiful and attractive and something worth being a part of. I mean, people who grew up in the church, people who are followers of Jesus, when it comes to the actual church, quite frankly, uh, we're not really that taken, taken aback by it. It doesn't take our breath away. In the passage we're looking at today, we get a, a very brief glimpse at how Paul views the church. So would you look at Philippians chapter 4? That's the chapter we're going to be in. And as, as you're open to that chapter, let me do a quick review for you of where we've been. Paul is probably sitting in a Roman prison cell. He, he's sitting in a prison cell somewhere, probably in Rome. Uh, he's there for preaching the gospel. And he, he's heard about the church in Philippi. He loves this church. He helped get it started. But he's heard that this church is struggling with presser, with persecution, and with division inside the church. And so he's been writing to this church saying, listen, man, Jesus is awesome. The gospel is amazing. Like, and it's still spreading. So I want to remind you that it's worth it, even in persecution. And don't start fighting about stupid things. Be united because the gospel of Jesus actually unites us. That's, that's his message in Philippians chapter 4. And, and so uh, 
look at this verse right here in verse one, because I want you to see how different Paul views the church than what I just described we're experiencing. And I got to be honest, it's only one verse we're looking at today, and part of it made me uncomfortable. It says this in chapter four, verse one. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, my family is basically what he's saying there, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord. And he says this other phrase, my beloved. Listen, he uses these, this really affectionate language there. Like, like that word when he says, brothers whom I love. These are all actually almost like names for the people. He's not just saying brothers I'm love. He's saying, therefore, my brothers, my loves, my long, the ones I long for, they're all like titles. It's almost, I don't want to say pet names, but listen, it's really kind of ooey-gooey emotional talk. Like he, he's like, listen, like my love is not the way I would stand up and say, listen, church, my love, my desire, the thing that makes me happy, the, you, the thing I boast about, my beloved. I got to read this language and it's, Quite frankly, it's kind of gross. I don't know what else to say about that. And, and I'm looking at it like, listen, Paul, it's sappy. And it, it's almost like, are you like kissing up to these people because you need more money from them or something? Like, why are you talking like this? Like, maybe he just really liked this church. I mean, the, these descriptions, he says that he loves them, not just likes them. He loves them. He doesn't just say that he wants to be around them. He says he longs for them, like with a yearning. Like, he yearns to be with the church. He, he has this other phrase, you're my joy. It makes me happy. When, when I think about you, you make me happy. You give me joy. That phrase, you're my crown. The crown is something you would get when you won games. It was like this, this, this celebratory thing. It's like the trophy in your room that you would brag about. It, this is the kind of thing that parents brag about when you're hanging out with parents of a kid. Like if you go to find Josh right now, he probably has a whole lot, whole lot of pictures on his phone of that new baby, right? You find a grandparent in the room and they've got pictures of their grandbabies. You start asking about the grandkids and they will talk your ear off about how amazing and awesome their grandkids are. They will boast about their grandkids till they can't boast about anything else, even if it's not true, right? Uh, I mean, you, they will tell you all sorts of awesome, well, sorry, grandparents in the room. I know you're not lying about how awesome your grandkids are. They probably are smarter than every other kid their age and learning to talk and walk faster than normal kids. I, I believe that. Anyways, uh, but, but that's what Paul was saying about this church. I brag about you. I'm proud to be related and connected with you. He says, you're my beloved. You're, you're precious to me. Listen, I, when, when, I, when I read that language, I, here's what popped into my head. Maybe it's just Philippi. Maybe that's the only church that he really likes that way. But, but you know what? I started looking at other passages. But let me show you how else he talked to other churches. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's just a couple pages to the right of your Bible as you're flipping over there. Listen how he talks to this church in Thessalonica that he was probably only with for a week or two. He says this in chapter 2, verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians. He says this, but we were gentle among you. Listen to the affection in this. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
Right? We, we were like a mom around you. And not just like a bossy, mean mom. We were like, like the mom that's like with a brand new baby. Like that's how we were. We were gentle and affectionate and caring and protective and providing. So here's what he says, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Man, that is, I keep saying sappy, but it's affectionate language, you guys. Look what else he says there. Look at verse 11 in the same chapter. For you know, you, you know how like a father with his children, I feel better about this one. I don't feel as awkward. I can identify with this a little bit better. But like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we were like moms to you. We were like dads teaching their kids how to live life among you. And that's what we were like. We were like your parents. That's, that's affectionate language. Verse 19 of the same chapter, he says this, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Sound familiar to you? We just read it in Philippians before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Man, Paul is, he, he loves these churches. He, he says that even in Corinth, the worst church in the entire New Testament, in Corinth, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He says this, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, because they've been fighting. They were fighting, and it was tearing Paul to shreds. It says, not to cause you pain, but what? To let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Listen, if you flip through all of Paul's letters to the churches, you know what you find in all of them? Loving, affectionate, gentle language. And, and i got to be honest, I actually think that Paul meant it. I think that Paul actually felt this way about all these churches. It wasn't just words that he would say. It wasn't manipulative language he would do to get them to do what he wanted. That's not what Paul was doing here. He actually had real love for these churches, and he communicated it to them all the time. Made me ask myself a question. Do I feel that way about the church? Is is that the way that I feel about the church? Is that the way you feel about the church? If I ask, do you feel longing and love and affection and desire? Do you feel that way about the church? Struggle with that. Because honestly, when I start thinking about that, my immediate initial reaction is no. No, no, I don't feel, not that ooey-gooey. <laughs> like, but, but, but let me tell you why. As I started thinking about that, here's what I realized. When I started to think about the church, let me tell you what did not make me feel love and affection. I did not feel love and affection when I thought about the organization or the corporation of the church. I don't feel warm fuzzies when I think about bylaws and business meetings and staff. I don't feel warm and fuzzy about staff meetings and visionary planning. I don't, that doesn't make me all happy on the inside. 
doesn't mean feel love and affection and care and longing. It's not like if I could just have more policy and more bylaws and more organization, I would love the church more. I don't feel that way about the building. I don't walk around these buildings and all of a sudden my heart feels warm and affectionate, like the carpet has this special, like, ooh. I don't feel that way about the color of the pews or the chandeliers or the awesome stained glass windows or these phenomenal pillars. I don't feel any affection for this building. I feel zero affection for our meeting time. 10 a.m., there's something magical about the time of 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. I don't feel affection about the way we meet. That, listen, it's got to be traditional or it's got to be contemporary or it's got to meet this need. I don't feel affection about the programming or the strategies. I don't feel affection about any of those things. But do you know what started to cause my heart to have emotional, like my heart to beat fast? I don't know how else to say it besides that. It was when I started picturing you. People I've had conversations with in the hospital, phone calls that I've had, lunches that I've had, meeting with you and talking with you and spending time with you. When I think about the call that God initially put on my heart to the ministry, the thing that did not make me feel like, yes, I want to give my life for that, I didn't feel that way about buildings and corporations or any of it. I felt that way about people. I I had met Jesus and he did this work in my heart and I was in love with him and I wanted other people to experience the life change of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it burned in my heart. I wanted faces and names of people that I knew that I got to watch and have a front row seat to see Jesus work in their lives. That's what makes my heart beat fast. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul didn't care about the organization, even though it was important and he dealt with it. He didn't care about the structure, even though it was important, and you see him deal with it in some of the letters. He didn't care about the meeting time or the meeting space. He cared about the people because the church is a people. So let me ask, when I think about that, how do you feel about the people of the church? When you think about, let me, let me be specific. How do you feel about the people of this church? Feel love, longing, desire, affection. I got, I got to be honest. As, as I think about that, I, I think that sometimes, man, I get really excited when I think about it. And then I feel like it can also be hard. And and I want to answer this question before I move on. Like, so Paul finds the church to be amazing and beautiful. Why is the church so beautiful, right? Is it just because they're your friends and your buddies and your pals? Is, Is that what should make the church beautiful? And if it is, then why can't I just go down and find that at the local bar? Why can't I find that at a club or on a sports team? Like, like, isn't it, is what makes the church beautiful is just some relationships? And I'm going to tell you, no, I, I don't believe that's what makes the church beautiful. Let me give you a few reasons why I believe the Bible says that the church is beautiful and amazing and worthy of our affection. One of them is this. I, I want you to know the church is Jesus' idea, not ours. 
Let me tell you what did not happen. Jesus did not come, die on a cross, come back to life, and said, all right, guys, go reach people. And they sat in a room and said, you know what we should do? We should come up with a plan to help Jesus' idea. Our plan is the church. It was not the apostles' idea to start the church. It was Jesus' idea to start the church. And let me lay out what that design is. Let me, let me show you something in Acts chapter 2. I've shown this to you all several times, but this is a significant passage. It's, it's the early church. And I want you to see the beautiful design of the early church in action. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Brand new church. I mean, brand spanking new. No program. No plan apart from share the gospel and teach them the teachings of Jesus. That was it. And it just explodes and turns into this thing. Just look at it. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they, were, they were committed to learning the teachings of the apostles that they'd gotten from Jesus. And, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. Listen, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, look at this, were together and had all things in common. They were together all the time. They're committed to one another. They were actually sharing all their stuff. Verse 45, it's almost, you, you can't even program this because you can't force it. They were willingly and out of love doing this in verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's ridiculous, you guys. It's, it's, they're literally, you can't stop it. They're together all the time, and they find out that someone in their group has a need, and they go and they sell their TV or their car, and they meet that need. Well, it wouldn't be a car. It would be a donkey, but I don't want to get into that. Verse 46, and day by day. Day by day, let me put it this way, every stinking day. <laughs> day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, having meals in their homes every day. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Look, look at this, like, you know what I see when I see the beauty of the design of the church? I see deep relationships. Like real, authentic, not pretend. Now we have to pretend to be something you are. You are who Jesus made you to be. You're in deep, real relationships. You're accepted. You're known and you know. Man, ever experienced that in church? like for real, easily, but out of the gate, it's explosive like that. I see unbelievable generosity. I mean, listen, it's sacrificial love for people's needs. There was no arm bending or twisting or guilt trip. They, there was just love that led to action. There was deep growth. There was something about the apostles' teaching that they couldn't get enough in that, of. They were like eating it and devouring it and studying it. Like they were personally growing deeper and deeper in their relationship with God. They were being changed by the word. And I think there's passionate worship here. Like, I mean, they're just, 
I mean, it's ridiculous. There's, there's hospitality. There's worship. Like, it's real and passionate. Praising God is what it says all the time. Their homes are open all the time. Listen, one of the reasons that I think the church is beautiful is because of this. There's this thing that happens because of the gospel work of Jesus in the church. You're accepted not because of how much you have in common. You're accepted at the church, not because of how much you know the church lingo. You're accepted at the church, not because everyone is just like you. You're accepted at the church because of Jesus. Because he does this amazing work in my heart, right? That does something that makes me say, man, if he would save me and change me, then I want you to taste how good that is. And it makes me want you in and here and together. It's, it's reaching and longing. It's with open arms saying, you are accepted here no matter how you dress, no matter what your past is, no matter what you're struggling with right now. Because of Jesus, we want all of you here and not just present. We want you connected. It's, it's shocking that the gospel does this work that just literally blows the doors off of all the other reasons that people connect. It, it crosses age and class and experience. The church is unbelievably beautiful because when the gospel's at work, it opens up the possibility for real relationship with God and unbelievably deep accepting relationships with one another. There's a reason why in Ephesians chapter 2 or 3 verse 10, it says that the church is, displays the manifold wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes it this way where he talks about uh, there's not many wise and strong among you. It, it's a whole bunch of regular people. It, it's not that God picked the most gifted people. He took ordinary, sinful, broken people, changed them, and brought them all together regardless of all their backgrounds. L listen, let me describe it this way. Picture this. Picture the gospel. Just imagine the gospel doesn't exist in Tallahassee. There's no building like this. And all of a sudden, it starts to take root, and we start meeting with one, each, one another. And what ends up happening is it's almost hard to control because you are so loving, I don't have to program it. I have to say, okay, wait, you're meeting where? And you're, you're at whose house? And you had how many people over to your house this week? And what ends up happening is your homes are being filled with one another. People of completely different ethnic backgrounds. Completely different. Completely different income levels. That means there's people living on welfare at the trailer park who are opening up their trailer to people to live in mansions on, on Live Oak. It means people who are in government housing are opening up their house with their meager stuff and putting whatever food they can on the table and they're bringing in the rich people in the church who are sitting at their table out of love without judgment and condemnation. They're all together all the time, studying the word, praising then all of a sudden these people start finding out there's needs. Rich and poor alike are selling their stuff to help meet the needs of other people that are meeting in the church. And the church is filled with white and black and Latinos, with people who struggle with homosexuality and addictions and mental illness. You name the struggle, the church is jam-packed with it. And we love and accept each other and wait in on the brokenness of one another. And you can't get rid of us that easy. Because you can't shake the love of Jesus just by saying, I don't like you. 
We know that because we experience it. We chase down people with love and affection and patience and care. That's the beauty of the church. He took ordinary broken people and introduced them to tremendous forgiveness, freedom, relationship, transformation, all by his gospel power. And he gives us hope and a new heart and power to actually live a brand new life. And then he gave us each other to help with that new life, to flesh out the radical gospel with one another and to invite other people into that gospel. So when Paul talks about loving the church, he's talking about that. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the church the way it was meant to be. And it raises the question for me. Here's the question that raises because I began to ask this question. If the church really is the wisdom of God and it really is supposed to be that beautiful, why is it so hard to love the church? Uh, let me just, I'm going to go ahead. I'll raise my hand for you. When I talk about being super affectionate about the church, I will be the first to say that does not feel easy to me. Why not? Let me just tell you, there was a time I left the country for a year and went to go move to Australia. And in Australia, I was working with a church planner. I, we were, I was coaching basketball. I was doing all sorts of stuff just to reach people with the gospel. Uh, small little church. I mean, I did everything from fix toilets to fix baptistries to do children's ministry. They had me lead worship. They had me literally get up and sing the music because what they did is the men rotated in the church and all five of us had a different week. And like, five, is it your week? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'll never forget when they told me that. I was like, all right, you guys asked for it. So you got to get up there, no instruments. I mean, it was a complete train wreck. No bells and whistles. And then I came back to the States after, the, after a year, and I got to be honest with you. I hated it here. I would walk into churches, and I, oh. I hated it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was in church after church after church. I remember that first eight months back in the States visiting churches every week and being miserable doing it. I just wanted to hear the word, man. I didn't care about what fancy music you had. I didn't care what fancy programs you had. I just wanted to know, are they teaching the word? Do they love each other? And do we actually worship Jesus? couldn't believe how hard it was just to find that. Can I just be honest? Here's one of the reasons why I think it's so hard for many of us to actually love the church. Because I think few of us have ever experienced anything like what I just read to you in the book of Acts. I think there's few of us who ever actually experienced the church like what we see in the New Testament. So when we say, hey, why do I not love the church very much? Well, maybe it's because the church has lost her way. Like when we read about the church in the New Testament, it's foreign to us. We're not like, oh, yeah, I know that. I've done that before. Oh, yeah, I've been in church for 30 years. We do that all the time. You know what we do? We look at it. It doesn't make sense. So we say, you know what? Let's just assume that that was cultural and that what we do is still the right way to do it. Listen, this is a call for us, church. 
I think this is a call for us that the church has lost its way and is not committed to doing church the way the New Testament lays it out. Are, are we willing as a church to literally commit to strive to do whatever it takes to get closer to what we see in the Bible? Whatever it takes. Are we willing to take every program that exists and say, does that look like the New Testament church? If not, get rid of it or change it. Just think about that for a moment. Every single one of them. It is what we're committed to say. We want to be like the church says, like the New Testament says to be the church. So we got to start whatever we have to start to be closer in line to what the New Testament church looks like. So if that means I have to open up my house every week, then I'm going to open up my house every single week. That scare anyone else here? Can I just open up my house to the people that I get along with? That doesn't, is that what I see in the New Testament? It doesn't have to be my house. Can't we just open up the church building every week and have you get up and teach a lesson and we all sit here sterile and apart from one another and not really talk? Can't we just do it that way? You tell me. What do you see in here? We tell you what I don't see. I don't see a New Testament church that gathers once a week to li listen to a professional communicator communicate a message. I don't see the church that gathers once a week to hear a professional musician sing some songs and then we go our merry way. That is not the New Testament church. So one of the reasons why it's hard for us to love the church is maybe we're not being the church the way Jesus intended it to be. Not saying everything is bad, but I'm saying this. I, We've got to be committed to this and take the steps necessary to keep moving closer. We cannot be satisfied. I think there's another reason why it can be hard for us to love the church. Maybe it's not just the church's doing. Maybe it's our hearts doing, right? Maybe our hearts don't actually want the New Testament church. Maybe there's something broken about our desires. Like when I read Acts chapter 2, maybe the thing that was going on in your heart was like, you want me to sell my stuff and give it away to people? Or maybe the thing that was going on in you is, you want me to have people in my home all the time? Maybe what's happened is we've become consumers instead of lovers. Maybe our hearts have become about attending instead of engaging the church. Maybe our hearts have turned us into an audience of observers instead of family members. That when we say brother and sister, it's this weird church baptisty way instead of a family way. You, you know what I'm saying? Like you can go to church and like, hello, brother, right, that, that little thing. But in reality, I don't feel like a brother at all to you. We, that's just a phrase we use because it's the church language. But we're not really brothers and sisters. We're strangers. Maybe we become too individualistic. It's all about me and my experience and my individual needs instead of believing that God made you and me to be integral and essential parts of the body that serve the whole body and not just yourself. 
Listen, I believe that the gospel changes that in us. I believe that even as I say that, the word is burning in some of your hearts, that the spirit is causing somebody to say, that's exactly what I want in the church, man. That's exactly what I think Jesus calls us to be. I don't know how to do it, and it scares me, but yes, I want that, and I want it all day, every day, all week, every week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year. That's what I want for the rest of my life. That sounds like the work of Jesus. And I believe that as I say that, the gospel causes some of our hearts to burn for that. With scaring, it scares some of us. So even as I say that, let, let me give a few practical instructions and a few warnings as well. Okay, I'm going to shift into like pastor mode. Uh, maybe that's what I've been doing this whole time, but super pastor mode, okay? Um, let me give a few things. Because I think it's strange to talk about this in the middle of COVID. Right? I'm sitting here saying, you should love the church. And everyone online is like, oh man, I... Uh, I'm here, Pastor. I have asthma or whatever it is, right? Like, listen, for all the people, like, can we just agree? It's COVID right now. I'm not, I don't care about your attendance, right? That's not the thing that concerns me. Some of you are in the vulnerable population and you need to stay home and be safe. That is okay. The goal of this is not to make all the people sitting in their living rooms right now show up here next Sunday because they feel guilty. That's not what I'm shooting for. That, that's not the game plan. But, but I, I got to be honest here. Here's some of the concern that I have. Some of you are sitting at home, not because you're vulnerable, but because you love coffee and sleeping in and watching it on your couch. And you're not really watching it. It's like a subtle watch. You're on Facebook while it's on the TV screen. Right? Can we just be honest? That's how we, am I the only one that would do that? Okay. Forget about honesty in church. We're not going to do that. You're not allowed to lie. It's church, right? We've already been over this. Um, right? Like, it's hard to engage a church. I get that it's hard. Here's the warning that I want to give. Don't fall in love with digital church because it's not church. Don't fall in love with it. Don't, it's not, just please hear this. I'm not trying to guilt you into getting here sooner. That's not my game plan. My concern is that when COVID goes away, digital doesn't. And your living room feels much more comfortable. The church is not about watching it online. And guess what else it's not about? It's not about showing up and watching it in person either and then leaving away without connection. I... The thing I'm talking about almost like a different language and a lifestyle. For I'm just saying this is what the church looks like. It's just as wrong to show up here and watch it in person and leave and never talk to anybody and come back three weeks later as it is to watch it from your living room and never talk to anybody. That's the same thing. Just one is actually here and the other one's there. You're not any more engaged or connected either way apart from we see your face here. Listen, I... I want to challenge you to commit to connect and engage with the church. I want to challenge you to commit and engage, or to commit to connect and engage with the church. Let me explain what that means. I do think part of that means actually being here, right? You cannot connect with the body if you're not ever actually with the body, right? Like that's not... That's part of the reason this is a struggle for us as a church. Is we can't actually all be together right now. You cannot actually connect with the body if you're never with the body. So when this thing ends, like, be here. I don't mean once a month. I don't mean twice a month. I mean, be engaged with the body. 
That's, I think that's obvious. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Engagement with the church is not less than showing up every week. It's way more than that. Also, be present. Don't just attend. Don't just attend and show up and sit and say, let me see what I am supposed to hear and then leave. Actually be present and engage with the people around you. Learn names of people. And listen, I'm not telling everyone to go start shaking hands right now in the middle of COVID. Just prep for when it ends, okay? Uh, what I'm saying, don't just attend, be present. Like, find a way to be, be present. Engage people in somebody. Even if you're online, you can be online and be present. You can be calling people in your, that you know in the church every week. You can be sending email messages. You can FaceTime or Skype or Zoom, whatever cabillion other ways we have to connect. You don't have to just connect by showing up here. Be present, even if you're online. Don't disconnect from the church. Be present. I also think this. Um, I think one of the things, the way that we can be present is trying to find ways to have meals together. This is a simple step. Here's what you could do. This is real easy. You could literally just, you and your family say, once a month, we're going to figure out who we can go to lunch with after church on Sunday. I mean, I don't know. How many of y'all go to Sonny's? Is Sonny's the jam right now? I don't know. Is that the restaurant? Everyone's like, Sonny's is our thing. Every Sunday, we go to Sonny's. Listen, you can just grab some and say, hey, you want to go to Sonny's with us today? Just go to Sunny's together, eat some awesome barbecue, and move on. Or, or even, you could even get crazier. You, you could once a month or twice a month, and we're not even talking every day. Like, I'm saying once a month, and people are like, holy cow, this is a lot. They did it every day. Like, what, what if you tried to go to lunch with someone once a month, and you tried to have someone over to your house for a meal once a month? Now I've gone too far. <laughs> Listen, I... And not just the same people. It, listen, if you're too uncomfortable, start with someone you know and love. Go easy. Right? And then we can grow to the other things. Start with someone you don't know well. And other people are like, I'm a visitor. Please, for the love of everything decent and good, do not invite me to a stranger's house today. Uh, maybe good visitors saying, please invite. I don't know what you, where you're at. But just, can you just use some like, I, I guess I would say just be hospitable. Be, be hospitable. Open up your home. Open up your life. Open up your meals. Listen, even the fact that once a month feels beyond for, too much for some of us, like, that shows us how far we've gotten away from what the church is intended to be. Like, church, I, I want the church to be something that you love and adore and long for. A place that looks like the New Testament where it's easy to connect and the gospel is the language that we're speaking and we're causing one another to grow to know and love Jesus more and know his word more. That it's easy for anyone who walks through the door, no matter what they're wearing or what they've done, to connect because that's the type of people we are. We're Jesus people. Can we do that? Listen, I actually think we can. And let me tell you why. It's not because I think you're all awesome. Here's what I believe is awesome. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to change our hearts and the very patterns of our lives. Listen, I know some of you are just war. You're saying, listen, I, I go to work every day. I cannot imagine adding another thing to my schedule. Listen, here's all I'm asking. Let Jesus change your heart and enable you 
to do one meal a month. And listen, I haven't felt guilty saying one meal a month. I felt like I should say, you can't do it twice a week. Come on, people. But listen, do, do one meal. Do coffee. Do one lunch break at work. Do anything, right? If you're taking your kids to T-ball, find someone else and say, hey, we're going to T-ball. Do you want to come with us to watch a T-ball game? And we're going to dinner afterwards. I'm not asking to add anything. You're already eating. You're already going to T-ball. Just invite someone to go with you. Right? For some of you, your, your work is super, super busy. Just look around your work and see if there's someone there that you could grab a meal with. But, but let's, let's open up and be the church the way Jesus intended it. Church, the, the reason I have hope that we can do this is not because I think you're all good at this. It's because I believe the gospel is strong enough to make you unbelievably excellent at this. It's in you. If you have Jesus, you have the spirit, and you have a new heart. This is already in you. I've seen some of you already doing it just naturally. You already instinctively do it. Someone is suffering, and you are there. Listen, there's someone that's new here, and you are you are making sure they feel welcomed and included in this place. Some of you already open up your homes. You already open up your meals. Listen, that's the work of Jesus in you. Some of you are introverts. I mean, just if you're an introvert and being around people feels like death to you. Let me just tell you. Yeah. Okay, all the introverts, you actually got amens on that one. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, here's the deal. Uh God made you an introvert on purpose. He's not asking you to not be an introvert. Just go easy. Pick one. Because there's some other people who are introverts that will show up in the church. And the last thing someone visiting that's an introvert needs is an extrovert. Like me and my wife are like, hey, you want to go to the house right now? You want to have lunch right now? Like they're like, whoa, okay, whoa, whoa. I don't like people. Get the people away from me. I don't want people. I don't. Like, what they need is a fellow introvert to say, hey, man, I totally, I'm with you. If you're an introvert, can you just go deep with one or two people? Like, right, like an introvert, you're not going to be good at doing 50 people. But your skill set is you can find one or two, man, you can go deep with them. Jesus made you for that, and I'm telling you right now, someone in this church needs that. Listen, God, God put you here on purpose. He gifted you with everything you need to do this. I'm telling you right now, Jesus can do this in and through this. It's his plan, and that's exactly what he wants to do. And he will give us everything we need. He will give us everything we need to be a beautiful, gospel, Jesus-like church. Church, I, I'm praying this is true of us. Let me bow our head and close our eyes and give us a moment just to, to respond. Here's what I want you to do real quick. If you don't love the church, you don't love the, the vision of the church that Jesus gave, would you ask Jesus to change your heart in that? Listen, maybe for you, it just, just to be quite frank, you just don't want to be around people at all or you're too, you've been wounded by people too much or where's you, whatever it is. If you feel like being loving to people is too much. Would you ask Jesus to help you love people well?
Maybe for some of you, there's broken relationships that need to be mended, and you cannot figure out how those relationships would ever be mended. Or maybe you have wounds. You have no idea how those wounds would ever be healed because you've been hurt too much. Listen, I, Jesus can help with that. Would you ask him to help you heal those wounds? Would you ask him to help you have wisdom on how to restore those relationships? Maybe for some of you, the thing that stood out today was not was that the church seemed beautiful and the longing that you have is you realize, man, how do I actually be a part of the church? You talk about Jesus changing us, but I've never actually been changed by Jesus. Let me just remind you of the gospel. I want everyone to hear this. Jesus came while we were still enemies, while we were broken. Everything about us was twisted. Even the good parts of us were twisted. And he came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross. And while he was on the cross, he took all our brokenness and all our rebellion and all our mistakes. He took all of it and he paid the full price for all of it. And he died on that cross on my place, on your place, on all of our places. He died on the cross and he came back to life three days later. And here's what he offers. If you will trust his death on the cross on your behalf, if you'll ask him to save you, then he will come in and he will save you and he'll give you a new heart and he will make you a part of the church. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you, come and find one of our pastors. We'll be down front after the, after the service. And for some of you, man, that picture of the church, you loved it. Would you pray for Jesus to make us look more like that as a church? Praise him for his wisdom and not just tell us to get saved and do it on our own. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, now we, we want to be obedient to you. So God, we're just simply asking, would you make us the church that you want us to be? And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.